This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello, welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thank you for tuning in. Coming up this week. It tends to surprise you who your users end up being. They're not necessarily going, going to be that 20 to 35 year old surfer yogi from you know here in Encinitas, California. You're gonna end up with you know somebody from Leeds who's never surfed before. We're in conversation with Brian Shields, founder and CEO of Suga, turning wetsuits into yoga mats. Oh yes, stay tuned. Hello, yes, welcome back to episode four of The Better Business Show. It's Monday, the 8th of February. Thank you for tuning in and coming back to us. It's been a heck of a week. Um, We've certainly made it a bit of a splash out there. Thank you to each of you that's tuned in and shared and subscribed and listened. Uh, We made it into the top 30 in the iTunes business podcast uh, charts, which was fantastic after to, well, less than a week really and we also made it into the new and noteworthy section of the iTunes store hugely important for us uh, and if you like what you've heard during these first free shows uh, and you want to continue to see where where we go and where, where this journey takes us with a better business show please stop what you're doing turn off this podcast head on to iTunes right now uh, and subscribe and give us a review and a rating it makes a huge difference and it helps us to build a real community here of listeners all around the world uh, which will hopefully make this podcast viable and sustainable for the long term so please do that and encourage your colleagues to do the same your friends and family to do the same just jump onto itunes and give us a give us a five star rating give us a review Uh, it really does make all the difference so yes we've got some great feedback from from our listeners across social media during the last week as as we launched um so i want to give a bit of a shout out to anyone that got in touch with me really uh, just to say thank you nick davis uh who runs neighborly.com he got in touch and said uh, lots of cyclists in our community who need a program like this to pedal home to uh, I've looked for something like it before. So Nick, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we heard from Alex Roberts from Wilmot Dixon. He said he listened to the first three podcasts while he was stuck in traffic on the M4. Uh, he said exactly, uh, and I've wanted a quality sustainability podcast to make the commute more productive. And he, he said, you've definitely found a niche. Brilliant. Thank you, Alex. And thanks for your for your positivity. Uh, also, big shout out to Jay Mather, Jim Craig, Melissa Sterry, Alex Duff, uh, Oliver Hurry, anybody else that was kind enough to give us a, a mention or a retweet on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, during the course of the week. Really, really much appreciated. Um, and I'm very keen to know what you think of the show out there. So tell me what works, what doesn't work. Drop me a line. Um, and I'm also keen to use the show as a kind of vehicle to bring people together. So if there's somebody that you hear on the show that you'd love to, to speak with and connect up with, then, then you know, use me as a conduit to, to do so. And I've thought a lot about this, this playing the, the matchmaker and bringing the startup and entrepreneurial community together with the kind of big corporates. And, uh, and I think, you know, if you think about who we've already spoken to on the show 
so far. So companies like Ignitia, uh, who were in episode one with their amazing weather forecasting for smallholder farmers in the tropics, big agricultural companies uh, with supply chains in that part of the world should be talking to Ignitia. Uh, it's a service and it's a product that they need. And is there a way of those corporates helping to fund uh, what Ignitia is doing and, and some of the work they're doing? And, and I'd love to play that role of facilitating some of those connections. So use me. And if we can do that, then we'll aim to do that on the show. You can find me on Twitter at Tom Idle. And of course, we're online www.betterbusiness.show where you can read more about all of the guests and all of the things that we talk about here on the Better Business Show. So do that. Right, on with this week's show. If you call last week's show, you'll remember that Reen Otto, the founder of Dutch Awareness, uh, he was ranting quite brilliantly about the need for more entrepreneurs in the world to, to be trying new things. And he talked about the need for, for more people to take risks, I guess, and try new things and not be afraid to fail and he talked about the differences in culture between those over here in in Europe and those in the US and you know he was sort of saying if you've managed to be bankrupt in America there's a very good chance you'll get a big fat pat on the back uh, and a congratulatory well done and here in Europe you'll get a sharp intake of breath through gritted teeth no doubt but this this fear of failure theme is something of a trend at the moment. There's a great series of blogs and articles that have been produced by uh, by Virgin.com in the last month, uh, which is worth checking out. Richard Branson and, and others talking about why it's good to fail. And I was reading a, a great blog this morning, funnily enough, by uh, Ben Vivian, who works for the Vivian Partnership, which is a, a sort of small consultancy working in sustainable business. Um, and, and Ben's blog was called It Is Essential to Fail. It's on LinkedIn. You can you can have a look for it. But, you know, failure is something that's you know absolutely crucial when it comes to startups and entrepreneurs, particularly in the business of creating positive social environmental change. Uh, something that, you know, is doing something new that demands that trial and error approach and, and new ways and new ways of thinking about things. Um so yeah, have a look. Have a look on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll make sure I post the link in the show notes that accompany this episode online at narrativematters.co.uk. Uh, and failure, I think, is a theme that we'll explore on this show too. Um, as as Ben says in that in that blog, you know, there's so many lessons to be learned out there based on what didn't quite go right, uh, as well as what did. And we'll try to do that as much as we can here on the Better Business Show. And failure is something I touch on uh, with this week's guest, uh, although the success of his business was still very much front and centre of the story, and it's a great story. Uh, so, you know, where to begin? Well, the ocean is our starting point this week, and our seas and oceans offer a really real and stark visual representation of the health and well-being of our planet. And we, we react to the sea in a way that we probably don't about any other of, of our natural assets here on planet Earth. Um, you know, destruction of coral reefs, oil spills like uh, Deepwater Horizon in the Gulf of Mexico, the overfishing, the, the kind of depletion of fish stocks. Basically, if there's something wrong with our oceans and there's something wrong with our world, and that's kind of how, how we think of things. And, you know, there's a lot wrong with it. I read the other day, by 2050, our oceans will have more plastic in it than fish. 
Uh, our beautiful, pristine waters have been turned into a, a, something of a dumping ground. And it's probably the reason that so many companies have, have sort of turned to the theme of the sea to connect up sustainability initiatives or kind of charitable foundation work. Uh, and, and some have actually connected the issue of plastic waste in our oceans directly with their business. Two examples spring to mind. Uh, two companies that are dealing with the, you know, the, the big problem of discarded fishing nets. You've got Interface, which is the kind of uh, carpet tile manufacturer, um, is one of those businesses which is now making carpet tiles out of old fishing nets, uh, which are either washed up on the beach or they're found at the bottom of the ocean, interfering with a, a whole bunch of you know species on, on the bottom of our oceans. Uh, there's another company called Econil, which is working with the Healthy Seas Initiative, and it's combing through shipwrecks on the bottom of the ocean looking for abandoned fishing nets uh, and turning them into into clothes, uh, jackets and sportswear and, and even lingerie. And there's a great piece on that story on collectively.org at the moment by Maxine Perella. Uh, again, I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's, it's worth checking out. But this idea of taking a... Um, a problem waste, whether it's fishing nets or, or something else, and turning it into something else, something more useful, is just brilliant. My absolute favourite is Elvis and Cressy, uh, which is based here in the UK. They're turning old fire brigade hoses into luxury goods like handbags. I mentioned them again in today's show, and make no apologies for doing so. They're absolutely brilliant. And the subject of today's show is another in a long line of companies doing this sort of thing. You're about to hear from Brian Shields. He's the CEO and founder of Suga, a Californian business uh, turning wetsuits into yoga mats. How Californian does that sound? Anyway, let's find out a bit more from Brian. Brian, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the, the Better Business Show. Um, anybody that jumps onto your website will get it in seconds. You take old wetsuits and you turn them into yoga mats. What do you what do you kind of call what you do? Is this upcycling? Is it recycling? Is it is it just plain old manufacturing? What is it? How do you describe it? Yeah, I would describe it essentially as recycling rather than upcycling. Upcycling, you're kind of taking an existing product and perhaps at the end of its useful life, uh, you're just repurposing it. Whereas we set out to actually create an entirely new product by uh, grinding up, microcomposing essentially the uh, wetsuit bits back into a usable end product. Um, so that's kind of the process that began Suga. We started putting this together, figuring out what kind of end material we could make by recycling wetsuits. Um, you know, where, go ahead. And where do you get these wetsuits from? Yeah, that's a good question. Ideally, the end goal is to be able to take all of the used wetsuits from surfers, windsurfers, divers, triathletes, and to be able to essentially prevent them from ending up in landfills. Mm -hmm. To be able to fill the void during the startup uh, part of our venture, we reached out to some of the major wetsuit manufacturers. Um, we learned a lot along the way about exactly how they do business, how they manufacture, <clears throat> and what have you. The long and the short of it is, is that uh, they were able to essentially fill that gap in terms of uh, product supply with some of the scrap materials from their manufacturing and from some of the warranty suits that they get back that they're unable to uh, repair, they'd be throwing away. So they were integral in, in getting us up and running. And now that the word's out, we just had a successful Kickstarter campaign um, and that got us quite a lot of press. And so now the word is sort of traveling out through the you know, surfing communities and also the yoga communities as well 
people who you know may have wetsuits at home because we as surfers we tend to keep them we don't want to throw them away because we know that they, they don't biodegrade um and uh word is now getting out to these people that hey there's there is finally an option for recycling these and now our you know we have bins placed at, throughout southern california and our recycling bins are going to grow but basically that's that's where we're getting the bulk of our neoprene at this point okay and it's it, to be honest the wetsuit and and surfing is all a bit alien to me um based here in london what sort of wetsuits i mean are they all the same or what sort of wetsuit do you need for this well <clears throat> wetsuits are uh, almost entirely made from a uh, petrochemical called uh, polychloroprene it was invented by dupont in about 1930 or so and the stuff was uh, invented, they went through a number of different chemicals, but basically the idea was to create a, a synthetic rubber that was really durable, that they could use for gaskets and fittings that wouldn't uh, degrade over, you know, for mechanical components and things like that. Um, and the, the compound itself was kind of left alone until about the 60s when uh, a very um, creative surfer from the Santa Cruz area of California, there's cold water up there, wanted a way to stay warm in winter so they can continue surfing. And they came across this stuff and found because it was essentially a closed cell foam rubber, a synthetic rubber, it didn't sponge up water and make you sink to the bottom. So it allowed them to stay warm in winter by essentially having a layer of water between the body and the neoprene. And that closed cell foam neoprene is it, predominantly essentially what our what our product is composed of with right. with an organic non-volatile compound that's a binding agent basically that has like some antimicrobial component to it um, without giving away too much of the secret sauce but that's basically kind of what the product is composed of okay so so great for turning into something like a yoga mat but but really you, you can't recycle these things historically there hasn't been any any way to do it by virtue of the fact that there wasn't really an end product that you could turn it into or combine it with something else. And that was some of the challenges that we faced. So let me back up a few steps and, and sort of explain some of the genesis of Suga. I was originally um, from Vancouver, Canada. I worked in sustainable development after university. And uh, I ended up moving down to California to go to law school to try to get to the sort of center of the environmental legal universe as I saw it at that time here in California, I ended up finding out that, you know, after, you know, eight, seven, eight years of practicing environmental law here, that's not necessarily the the road to change that I thought it would be. And uh, I kind of wanted to get into a sustainable business venture. And I, I took a look at my life and the things that I use, the products that I use, and some of the, uh, I guess you could say, you know, blockages where, where there was something that needed to change and there weren't companies or um, NGOs or individual actors that were trying to make that change. So I set out to try to, as a surfer, I've been you know surfing ever since growing up in Canada, uh, find a way to recycle these wetsuits. And that, that kind of was the, 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 the tipping point where, where I set out to figure out, okay, well, what possible end product could we use <clears throat> Uh, that is relatively uh, inert in that it, it doesn't have the same dynamic characteristics as a wetsuit. When you go to recycle neoprene, you're not going to end up with an end product that is as stretchy, as uh, thermally insular. Um, it just it, You can't recycle a wetsuit into a wetsuit necessarily. No. People are now working on that, but it essentially involves other compounds. Neoprene, I, I, I needed something that was, like I said, a, not a dynamic substance, um, and that's kind of where we came up with with yoga mat. I had also practiced yoga. I'd had a lot of injuries over the years, and it's been a major, you know, 
major saving grace for my life over the years. And uh, yeah, it just kind of hit me one day. Uh, I was at, at brunch with some friends and uh, started talking about going to yoga. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of hit me like that's that's probably the one product that would also resonate with both uh, yoga practitioners as well as surfers. They tend to be relatively environmentally sensitive um, yeah. consumers by and large. I mean, surfers are sort of the canaries in the coal mine in that, you know, you're, you're in the water uh, you know, you're facing pollution when you're in the water surfing. You're aware of your environmental impacts. We use surfboards that are made from, you know, foams that are, until very recently, not very environmentally sensitive. Mm. You know, we coat ourselves in these, like I said, petrochemical-based, you know, petroleum-based uh, neoprene wetsuits that don't biodegrade. And so, again, I wanted to sort of solve this problem while courting both of those consumer bases and that's sort of the genesis of suga yeah i mean i, I was gonna ask you about that you know the, the types of people that, that buy your products i mean surfers do have this sort of natural affinity to the environment don't they and that sort of connection that others might not and, and do you think that's kind of why you've been successful and, and and you know the kickstarter campaign has been successful because you, you you're kind of attracting that that type of person i guess indeed that was part of the branding all along um where we wanted to speak to those people. But what, what's interesting is <clears throat> as we began to get press and spread beyond simply the, uh, you know, the surf media and the yoga media and into the sustainable business press, the, the people with whom the story actually resonated, uh, it's, it certainly surprised me. And, and we'll see as we grow as to who those users are. Mm. Um, but obviously, you know, from a financial standpoint, the yoga market is growing massively. Um, but I, it, it always does, I, I think from at least what, what I've studied in my experience thus far with Suga, it tends to surprise you who your users end up being. They're not necessarily going, going to be that, you know, 20 to 35 year old surfer yogi from, you know, here in Encinitas, California. You're going to end up with, you know, somebody from Leeds who's never surfed before or something. So yeah, yeah. You, you just never know. And, and people tend to support, you know, the little guy that's doing something a little bit different. And so the amount of support we, we've received is it's humbling. It's fantastic. It's just great. And so for Kickstarter, I mean, wh wh where does that take you? What's the impact that that, that extra cash will have on your business? Yeah, so we, we kind of started with the mentality of growing this venture as organically as possible. I didn't want to get together a bunch of, you know, venture capital, you know, investors and, and give away a bunch of equity from the get-go just so that they can make some kind of cash cow. You know, my background and my knowledge base, I, I believe, you know, plus mentors and advisors and everything allowed me to um, bootstrap this myself from the get-go. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a stressful way to do something. Um, <laughs> and then crowdsourcing, yes, it is theoretically a way to get a good sum of startup capital to you know help cover some of that bootstrapping. But more than anything, it's a marketing campaign to say, hey, we are grassroots. We are you know this is what we do. This is a tech product. We've we've spent you know thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, building this product. But we need your help to actually do it, and because we are, you know, a recycled product, um, it, again, that's it's almost like a marketing push just to to get things out there on a grassroots level rather than advertising in large mm -hmm. publications across, you know, across the globe. Um, it, it's 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 a way to throw a stone and have a ripple carry a long way through a big ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and going back to the kind of the manufacturing of your yoga mats, uh, what are you doing with the wetsuits? Presumably you're, you're just shredding them, are you, and then using the material to, to form them out? What, what does the process look like? 
yeah, I mean, we obviously can't give away too much of the secret sauce, but um, we have a factory here in the U.S., which is fantastic that they're local. They're pretty much the only people that have the capability of doing this. We worked with them hand-in-hand hand over the span of about two years. Um, so we get the predominantly wetsuits, and some of which, like I mentioned earlier, scrap neoprene cuttings from the wetsuit manufacturers. Uh, we will um, essentially get it all together, remove any of the plastics, zippers, things like that that may be on the suit, uh, metal or plastic, and then <clears throat> ship it out to them in bulk. And then uh, essentially it goes through, as I mentioned earlier, a grinding process where it's micro ground up and micro ground up, and then essentially recomposed and um, it, it's cured over three days and then um, <clears throat> cut into uh, cut into the mats. And the mats are essentially die cut into whatever thicknesses and, and shapes we want. So right now we're offering two different size yoga mats, a uh, regular size and an extra large size. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like me, you know, 6'3", uh, 200 pounds. I'm sorry for the metric conversions. For the, <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, they want a bigger size mat. And then we also make uh, other things. We have a, a beer koozie. Um, for keeping your uh, can or bottle of beer cold, okay, uh, also made okay. it, uh, so a little kind of you know other one-off one-off things. A surf change mat when you get changed after surfing, you want to make your wetsuit last longer rather than dropping it in the dirt. We have a smaller size sort of square mat that you can drop your wetsuit on, so you're not getting changed and getting sand and gravel and things like that all over it. Okay. I also use that for uh, meditation as part of my uh, mindfulness practice every day. I'll go find a nice spot um, on a bluff overlooking the ocean and, and put that out and sit sit on that for. Uh, or my meditation practice as well. So we have we have those. We're also building into uh, other products right now and uh, crossover branding products with some other sustainable brands as well. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you. I talk to you about those in, in a sec. The sure. the manufacturing is all done right where you are, is it? And you're you're outside of San Diego, aren't you? That's correct, North North County, San Diego. Okay, and all manufacturing's done there. Uh, it's all done in the U.S., yeah. Okay, okay. And you make a bit of a play for that, don't you, on your website? And I wonder how conscious that is and, and, and whether consumers are sort of really starting to buy into that that whole notion that, you know, local manufacturing is, is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a few takes on that. I mean, local manufacturing is fantastic. Supporting local companies is great. But I think there's a lot to be said for uh, thinking about the entire carbon footprint of an operation from uh, source material through manufacturing, distribution, fulfillment, uh, shipping to the end consumer, and most importantly, at the end of the product's useful life. So beyond simply just local manufacturing, I think from a nationalistic standpoint, a lot of people are keen to obviously support something that's made in that country relative to abroad. Um, but again, I, from a sustainability standpoint, that's not really the most interesting thing for me. I think it's it's much more um, reducing your footprint as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. We continually face that. But um, yeah. Yeah. And and tell me about your, your take back program, because you, you offer the chance for customers to send back their worn out yoga mats, don't you? And you send out brand new ones. What, what's the what's the what's the deal there? That's that's right. So uh, from the get go, I was trying to incorporate something of a uh, both cradle to cradle and cradle to grave type programs. And when I say that, what I'm referring to is basically how uh, a lot of manufacturers will put a product, or a lot of companies will put a product into the uh, consumer, uh, the stream of commerce, and not really care about what happens at, to at the end of its useful life. We wanted to make sure that we could recycle these back into further mats when they had. You know, if they start to come apart, if they lose their stickiness, their tackiness, if any of the characteristics that, you know, users are buying them for isn't working, that we could recycle them. So 
Mm. We instituted a program where people could buy the regular mat and then return it to us for a 20% discount at the end of its useful life. We also started a cradle-to-cradle program uh, whereby people can buy a mat at a slightly higher price point and it amounts to a mat for life. People buy okay. one yoga mat and anything happens to it, they don't like it, send it back, we'll give you a brand new one. We come up with a new version that uh, you want, send it back to us, we'll give you a brand new one. It's basically just a, a higher price point for a, you could call it a lifetime warranty, but that's, that's not really what it is because we're taking the product and we're throwing it back into the grind and recycling it back into a future version of the product. I was going to ask you that. You, you are able to recycle your own products, are you? Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was critical in working with our manufacturers, making sure that every little bit of scrap that we use goes back into the grind to get used up again. And uh, yeah, so all of our testing material that we ever use, you know, cutting it up, trying to shred it, heat testing it, all of that stuff, I end up sending back to them and it gets reused again. Every, every bit, we are 100% sustainable in that regard. Fantastic. I I guess you're you're solving two problems. You're dealing with the, the the waste wetsuit, and you're also making a product that you know is inherently more sustainable because it's made out of a, of a waste uh, raw material. But what's what's the biggest problem that you're solving? Do you think? I mean, how big a deal is is wetsuit waste? Uh, say in California, for instance. Yeah, it's not just California. It's worldwide. I think a lot of people aren't really aware of of annual neoprene production. I think it's, uh, I don't have the figures in front of me, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 tons annually uh, of neoprene that's being produced. Okay, and do, you, and do you know, are you able to sort of quantify the impact that you're having as a business on, on that waste? Yeah, no, we are. We, <clears throat> we are acutely aware of every pound that we end up uh, shipping to our manufacturer. And so far, we are three tons into, uh, and again, we're just a nascent startup at this point, um, but we are three tons into production. That's three tons of wetsuits that would otherwise be sitting in landfills uh, for literally thousands of years and not biodegrading. Sure. There's a, there's a fantastic business here in the UK, and you, you might well have come across them. They're called uh, Elvis and Cressy. Have you heard of those? I have not, no. Okay, they take old fire hoses, which have to be decommissioned by the fire brigade over here in the UK after a certain number of years uh, mm-hmm. because they can't be and they can't be recycled and Elvis and Cressy take the fire hoses and they make luxury goods so handbags and wallets and belts the reason I mention them is because they have basically removed an entire waste stream so they now take a hundred percent of the old fire hoses from the London fire brigade and use all of that waste as feedstock for their business uh, and they're going to try and get to the to the point where they're big enough to actually remove all of that waste across all of the fire stations and fire brigades across the whole of the UK. And I wonder with you guys, with, with Suga, whether there'll be a, a sort of tipping point where you can take all of the, you know, the wetsuit waste, even if it's, you know, all of the wetsuit waste in the state of California, for instance, and, and use all of that to, as your feedstock. So you kind of remove the whole waste stream. Yeah, we have ambitious goals of trying to reduce 95% of wetsuits from entering landfills by 2020. Um, and that is generally an uphill battle on two fronts. One front is public awareness. I, I mean, I think most surfers, divers, other users of, of neoprene wetsuits, and there are there is other neoprene materials out there. Often neoprene is used in uh, leg braces, ankle braces, uh, you know, orthotics, things like that. Um, so, yeah, that first run is making people aware, A, that this stuff doesn't biodegrade, don't throw it away, there is somewhere that can recycle it. Um, and then the second one is actually, you know, the physical collection um, of the material at, you know, various sites. 
to that end, we're actually looking to, because I mentioned you know, our ambitious goal of getting 95% of wetsuits out of landfills uh, globally, uh, we're setting up collection and distribution in, in Europe and most likely France and hopefully the UK as well uh, in 2016, in Australia as well in 2016. Um, and then eventually manufacturing in, in both places as well. There's a lot more surfers than you think all over Europe and certainly all over Australia as well. So we're not just talking about California, we're talking globally. Sure. Yeah. And is, is the biggest challenge for you guys to collect that waste or is it in actually you know, sales of, of products at the other end? What does the sort of supply demand um, mechanism look like? In starting operations, it was obviously relatively difficult to be uh, collecting material. I mean, when you go to, I mean, you have an idea to produce a widget, to use the age-old uh, business school item that you're producing. You know, often people these days uh, will source raw materials in China, will have a factory in China make it, it'll get shipped over to, you know, Europe, UK, wherever, and then go out to the fulfillment center out to the customer. So you've got essentially a, a Chinese factory that's hand, handling the manufacturing, they're handling the sourcing. We had to start from scratch essentially with sourcing materials from somewhere else. So that initially was quite a challenge. But as I mentioned earlier, partnering up with the wetsuit manufacturers was absolutely integral to that. It's no longer as big a challenge. We've created the business plan so as to be scalable. The source of neoprene is virtually endless in that regard. Um, and the reason why I say that is because in that discovery process of developing the product and researching what to manufacture, what we realized is literally 90, I would say without hesitation, 98, 99% of all wetsuits are created by one company. Even though they're branded Hurley, Billabong, Quicksilver, O'Neill, whatever those major surf brands or diving brands or whatever, there's one company in Taiwan with factories in Taiwan, mainland China, uh, and elsewhere in Southeast Asia that makes all of those wetsuits. They, they make the, the, the rubber, the different blends of neoprene, they manufacture everything and they ship it out basically with the, 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 uh, the company's name and branding on it. So what I'm trying to, what I'm getting at is essentially the amount of scrap neoprene they have, if we were to able, if we were able to grow to the size where we needed literally tons a week, they have tons of scrap neoprene every week from their cuttings. And they just, I mean, they basically just go into a landfill right now. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. Yeah, so we, yeah. we essentially have a scalable operation where we're able to jump all the way to that size. If we got to that size where we could take that company's stuff, uh, we most certainly would, would start manufacturing some stuff over there on top of obviously what we're doing here and eventually in, in Europe and in uh, Australia as well. Okay. And, and you mentioned that the, the beer cozy. Uh, are there other products that you, you're keen to focus on? Uh, I guess, you know, wetsuits and, and yoga mats are not things that people buy uh, that often, I, I suspect. Uh, I'm just wondering whether there are other applications for, for the wetsuit material. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly contacted by people saying, oh, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Part of the problem with using different applications for this material is that we specifically designed it to function really well as a yoga mat. We had the unique opportunity right, so of starting from scratch. So when you go to a... I keep saying Chinese, obviously there's manufacturers domestically, but by and large, most of the, in this case, yoga mats are made in China. Um, you're kind of dealing with a known, a known quantity, known factor of what the material is. We said, we're going to start from scratch. What characteristics do we want? Okay, so how do yoga mats fail people? Typically, they, they do hot yoga. I, I don't know if you're a yogi yourself, Tom, but a lot of people, especially here in the U.S., 
uh, practice a form of uh, Bikram yoga or hot yoga where they crank up the temperature in the yoga studio, you're sweating a lot. And when you're going through the sequence of poses, you, you tend to slip on the mat due to the mm. perspiration. And we wanted to sort of fix that and use some of the natural characteristics of the material to do that. And the way we did that essentially is having a, a, an unusual texture to the mat itself helps create more grip in addition to the binding agent that helps bind all those all that particulate matter together we were able to infuse an antibacterial material um, addition in addition to sort of uh, making it more tacky so that that's just one of the many things one of the other benefits as well is that it's a closed cell foam this is kind of an ancillary benefit but a lot of the foam like i said that's coming from china into conventional yoga mats is open cell it ends up being a sponge for dirt dust and bacteria from yoga studio floors so we were able to use this natural substance. I say natural, meaning that it's, a, it's coming to us from other sources, <clears throat> and it was already inherently closed cell, and so it wouldn't sponge up you know, moisture and dust and all that stuff. So it's, uh, there's a lot of benefits to using it. So we started from scratch is what I'm saying. So using it for other purposes we could do. We could work with our manufacturers and, uh, and eventually come up with other – um, other uses for it, and I think you know, in the long run, we probably will do that. But yeah, uh, yeah. in the interim, we'd like to get established and you know, get on strong footing from a financial standpoint before we deviate too far away from our core competency. And, th- and this is key, isn't it? It's it's not just uh, a gimmicky, you know, green product. This is it's a good product, and you and you've made it such, and that's the key to this, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, we didn't want to just come up with some slapdash attempt at uh, recycling wetsuits, and yeah, this is the closest approximation. We really spent two years kind of getting it right and and doing R and D and doing lots of testing afterwards, beta testing, um, and getting customer feedback for sure. And that'll continue to happen. I mean, with any product, you know, there, there's going to be people who are going to say, "Well, I don't like it. It's it's too this. It's too that. Or it's too heavy." Um, and you know, fundamentally, we'll keep improving on that, and that's that's the nature of any business uh, business venture, really. Brian, before I let you go, Brian, um, how can the audience find out more about Suga, uh, and obviously buy your products? Yeah, so number one is uh, through our website. We have an e-commerce portal set up, uh, www.sugamats.com. We also have Suga.yoga and Suga.surf. Those are uh, new top-level domains that are fantastic. <laughs> work, work well for us anyway. And then, of course, we're on uh, social media as well. We're suga.yoga on Instagram and at sugamats on Twitter and sugamats on Facebook as well. Brilliant. Well, Brian, thank you for uh, telling us about your, your business. I love the concept. I love the fact you've combined you know, your your personal passions and, and taking it into a business that, that, that makes complete sense you know I, I think it's uh, fantastic what you're doing so keep up the good work and uh, come back and tell us and, and update us in, in the future won't you indeed we shall thank you so much Tom I appreciate the opportunity Brian Shields there founder of Suga if you're looking for a birthday present for somebody this year you now know where to go as ever, we have show notes online, which uh, has some pics of the, the Suga yoga mats and the links to all the reference points from this week's show. Just head to www.betterbusiness.show. As I said last week, we're always keen about new organizations that are really shaking things up, creating positive change in the world. So if there's any organizations that you've come across that deserve to be featured here on the Better Business Show, please let us know. Just email me, tomidle at narrativematters.co.uk 
Maybe it's your business that you want to feature, just get in touch. Um, in the meantime, you can find us on iTunes where you can subscribe to the show there. We're also available on SoundCloud if that's your thing. Uh, and if you'd like what you're hearing on the show, please do tell your friends and family and colleagues uh, and encourage them to subscribe too. And of course, there are updates on the show via my own Twitter feed, at Tom Idle, so please do follow me. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye. <laughs>